0: Second Corinthians chapter eleven. This is the Sunday where we are celebrating nineteen years as a church it 's hard to believe that 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 we 've been here this long you know nineteen years ago to, to say nineteen years nineteen years ago it 's like nothing lasts nineteen years It was like this, this eternity you know, and so to, to be here at nineteen years into, I never did anything for nineteen years and uh, so, so you know, and on the one hand it seems like yesterday, and on the other hand it seems like you know, ni- 19 years ago. Lots, lots changed, and uh, I, I went. Y- you don't know, but when we started the church here, I had really long hair, it was great mullet, and uh, which I'm hoping comes back in sometime. Do it. There you go. And and uh, and and uh, I didn't have gray hair. I might have put on a few pounds over the last 19 years. <laughs> I gained a human, so um, anyways, but you know I, I thought because we 're celebrating nineteen years uh, th- this this week, and you know what a journey what a journey it's been, and it 's been and it continues to be and i, I wouldn't i wouldn 't want to do anything else. I love being being here, I love being the pastor of this church, love you guys. And I, I thought that we'd do something today. We've been in Second Corinthians, and I thought maybe we'd skip ahead to chapter eleven. And uh, the reason for that because it's our nineteenth anniversary. But uh, to talk about some of the things of why we do what we do and how we do what makes us u- unique as a church. And, and uh, you know, here, here's here's why we do some of these things. Now, as we as we go through this, there there are some places here where I have to really guard what I say and how I say it. So you just shoot up a a quick prayer for me that I say the right words in the right order so I don't create an awkward situation. So much more can be said than what we're going to talk about today, but we're going to give kind of like an, an overview. As we do this, to, to begin with, if you've been around Calvary for any length of time, you'll know that I'm a Bible prophecy fanatic. I believe that you and I live in the most exciting generation the world has ever known. The Bible speaks more about the time period you and I are living in than all of all of human history. And uh, so I wanted to begin with a a chapter or a verse that I've always found very, very fascinating in the Gospels. Jesus has said some some very difficult things. The disciples have listened in, and so when they get the opportunity, they come to Jesus privately and they ask him three questions. And I put those there on your outline. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, "Tell us when." This will be the first question. These things. When will these things happen? And then the second question: What will be the sign? of your coming. And then the third question is, and the end of the age. They had rightly paired his coming with the end of the age. So the chapter opens up with those three questions and then Jesus spends the rest of the chapter answering very, very specifically, this is what it's going to look like just before I come back. These are the things that are going to be going on and accelerating. Well, one of the things that we read in that chapter, something that we read and we go, yeah, 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 yeah but, but but we forget that it's a sign that Jesus gives, and I often refer to this as the sign we don't really talk about. It's it's so important that he mentions it two times in different ways in that chapter. But one of the things he says there in, in Matthew 24 is he's talking about, here's what it's going to look like. Uh, it says there in verse 11, I want you to underline the word many. Everybody see the word many? Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Hopefully you under, underline that. And the, the reason I say that is Jesus doesn't say a few, uh, the idea is that it's going to be widespread, it's going to be many, and and sadly there's going to be many who will be misled by the things that these false teachers, false prophets will be saying. Then later on in the same chapter, once again He says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise. And that'll be a characteristic just before He comes back. Jesus said it's going to be a problem just before He returns And false prophets we find were a major problem in the early church, so much so that Paul has been writing against false prophets, false teaching, and false teachers for pretty much uh, most of of this book. I believe that the reason that false teachers are going to be a problem just before Jesus comes back and they were a problem in the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago will be for the very, very same reason. Now when we talk about Corinth, one of the things that, that we've mentioned so many times but Paul is on a missionary journey, he comes to this town of Corinth which is in Greece. Now in, in Greece they were not monotheistic, they were polytheistic. So they didn't worship the God of the Bible as represented in, in the Old Testament at that time. They worshipped a number of different gods. It's there that Paul goes and he begins uh, he begins a church. And the way that he does this there in your outline, we notice a little bit about his methodology. It says so Paul stayed there for a year and a half. Now I want you to underline this, teaching them the Word of God, teaching them the Word of God. When Paul arrives, the first thing that he does is he gathers a small Bible study which continues to grow, and he teaches them the Word of God. In that case, that would refer to the Old Testament scriptures, the, the, the Hebrew scriptures. And we, we know that because later on when Paul writes back to them throughout first and second Corinthians, he, he continuously refers to the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. They were familiar with it because Paul had taught them that. Well, after a year and a half, Paul decides to continue his missionary journey and as he does, he hands the church off to another pastor. Several years go by and they've changed pastor one or two times, but the church at some point began to depart from the teaching of the Word of God, which is what Paul focused in on other teachers, and as they did this, other teachers began to come into the church. And as they were coming in, they were teaching things very different than what Paul would teach. They, they were teaching very strange things, we'll find. Because in the church they had stopped teaching the Word of God, now the church could no longer discern whether this was truth or error, whether this was the Jesus of the Bible or, or, or some other Jesus. And we'll see that as we, as we uh, go through this today. So as we go through, I'm going to make some comments. We're going to have to travel quickly through, through some of these things, but uh, we'll, get, we'll get the idea. Chapter 11, verse 1, we're going to pick it up. And Paul says, now, I, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. Um, we've, we've jumped ahead, so we're missing the last part of chapter 10. Paul's basically saying, you guys have been listening to all these false teachers, uh, all, all the foolish things that they're saying. He says, could you give me a few minutes and listen to me, is, is the essence of what he's saying. Verses 2 and 3 he says, "'For I am jealous for you.'" He doesn't say of you, but for you. "'With a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin.'" And then he says, "'But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve.'" And I want you to underline those three words. "'By his craftiness your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ.'" So when he says, I'm, I'm jealous for you with the godly jealousy, the idea is that you're supposed to be devoted to Jesus. But I see now that you're giving your affection, your attention in this other direction. He says, and I know where that winds up. So I'm jealous for you, not of you, to bring you back. Their listening to the false teachers and the false teachings was causing them to no longer live or operate with a devotion to Jesus. They're now becoming devoted to something else. But then he says in verse three, he says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve. And he, he gives a, a very short illustration of something that most of us are familiar with. Even if you don't have a real strong Bible background, you, you kind of know the story. You have the story where God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in the garden, and he says, Now you can, you can eat anything you want in the garden, but there's this one tree in the center. Don't eat the fruit from that tree. Familiar with the story? So then as the story picks up, the first place that we find Eve is going to be right next to the tree that that God said don't eat from. So there on your outline, I wanted to just uh, give that story real quick and underline a couple of things, and it'll help us as we understand what's going on. It says, now the serpent uh, said to the woman, underline this, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree? Make sure you boldly underline every tree of the garden. Now, did God say you couldn't eat of every tree? Or is it just one tree? Just one tree. Work with me. <laughs> you won't get it wrong. Be bold. So one tree. So what Satan does here is he twists a little bit of what God says, doesn't he? Twists a little bit. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, now underline this, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So let me ask you this, did God say you couldn't touch the fruit? He said you couldn't eat the fruit. So what she does now is she adds to what God said. She adds to the word of God we would say. So underline that. Then it goes on, Then says the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So underline that. So now he denies what God says. For God knows that in the day you eat it your eyes will be open and you will be like God. You want to underline that, knowing good and evil. So now he denies God's word and then he inserts his lie. So there in your outline you want to write this down, Satan deceived by twisting and denying God's word. He twisted God's word and he denied God's word. He says, Did he say every tree? Uh, And then he says, You will not die. And then Eve, on the other hand, was led astray when she added to God's word and believed the lie of Satan, or believed Satan's lie. So in Corinth, what we're going to find is that there's some twisting of Scripture, making it say what it really isn't, uh, what it's not saying. There's going to be some denying of what it says. And here we find the Corinthians, like Eve, are now beginning to believe some outright lies. So the question is, how bad did it get? Well, verse 4, he says, so here, here's how bad it gets with your pen in hand. He says, I'm, um, verse 4, he says, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which we've, not, which, uh, which we've not received, or a different gospel, underline those, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. So somebody shows up and they say, hey, this is Jesus. You go, oh, that's great. And they teach, whatever teaching. And, and, and they couldn't even discern anymore whether this was the truth or, or, or this was something that, that, that was false. So one of the things that you're very familiar with if you've been coming to Calvary for any length of time and we always take the opportunity to define, first of all, who is Jesus. And so that so just to make sure that we're we're following the, the right Jesus, eight hundred years before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, and who he would be. I'm gonna use this verse. I could use any of a hundred verses, but I'll use this verse. This verse is pretty much read right at Christmas time, probably every church in in the, in the world. But here it goes, with your pen in hand for unto us a child is born. Again, this is 800 years before Jesus would be born. Unto us a son would be given. He's going to be born as a a human. He's going to be a boy. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty, what's that word? God. Underline that. And if we miss that, he says the everlasting, and then what's that word? Father. And the Prince of Peace. So There it says He would be born, but He wouldn't just be a prophet, He would be the mighty God, the everlasting Father. So this is Christianity 101. It's what divides Christians from every other belief system. So all Christians, you want to write this down, all Christians believe that Jesus is God. All Christians believe that Jesus is God. 2,000 years ago God came to the earth on, on our behalf. So if you come from a Catholic background, a Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Christ Fellowship, Grace Emmanuel, uh, Generations Church in town here at Calvary, we're all very, very different on, on a number of things, but we are all united in the central teaching that Jesus is God. All Christians believe that Jesus is God. Now, if that's the case, then, then here's what we need to also know. You want to write this down. Everyone else believes that Jesus is not God. So go ahead and write that down. So it, whether it's Jewish people or, or, or Muslims, Buddhists, or even atheists, they're very, very different in a lot of things, but they all agree that Jesus is not God. So there are those, and that, that's very clear, but then there are those who will attach themselves and they'll say, but we're Christians. And, uh, but when you look, you realize that they do not believe that Jesus is God. So there you are. You're at your house. And I know you've heard me say it before. You're at your house and it's Saturday morning and they come walking up your driveway. It's the Jehovah's Witnesses. You've done everything you know to do. You've turned off your lights. You've hid behind your couch. <laughs> but they know you're in there. So they knock on the door and they're not going away until you open the door. You finally open the door. You get into a conversation and you say, well, who is Jesus? Is Jesus God? They would say, no, Jesus is not God. So well, who is Jesus? Well, they would say, Jesus is Michael the archangel, but he is not God. He was Michael the archangel. He came to earth He is Jesus, and now he's gone back, but he is not God. That would be another Jesus. That makes sense? So two young men show up on your, your house. They're very well-dressed. Uh, they're riding 10 speeds. They call them elders, but they're only 19, and they're very, very nice. <laughs> they, they, they knock on, on your door and they say, we're here to talk to you about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, you sit down and say, well, well, is Jesus God? They say, no, we, we don't believe that Jesus is God. Well, what do you believe? And they say, well, here, here's how it works. You see, God, Elohim, was a man on another planet. He lived a perfect life. And because he lived a perfect life, he now got to become God of this planet. And with his many wives, this is their term, through endless celestial sex, he has been able to repopulate this earth. But he is, uh, and so he is the god of this earth. And so now, God has two sons in particular. One son is named Lucifer, and the other son is named Jesus. In Mormonism, Lucifer is not a fallen angel, but the son of God. So you have two brothers. They have a plan for how the world is to be saved. Jesus' plan is accepted and Lucifer's plan is not. So to get Jesus to the earth, God comes to the earth, goes to a virgin's house. Her name is Mary. They have a physical relationship. She gets pregnant and she gives birth to Jesus. And, uh, but they would say, but Jesus is not God. But the mantra in Mormonism is simply this, as man is, God once was. As God is, man can become. And that's the central theology of Mormonism. Here's what this means. God was a man, he lived a perfect life, he got to become God of this planet. As God is, man can become. You as a man, if you live that perfect life under Mormonism, your reward is that you get to become a God of your own planet. But they would say, but Jesus is not God. We would say that is another Jesus. Make sense? So you're driving down the road and uh, you see it's called a church and it's called the Unity School of Christianity. And you think is good, everybody should have some unity. So you drive in, you say, so what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is God? They would say, no, no, we don't believe that Jesus is God. Well, who is Jesus to you? They would say, well, Jesus was a man, just a man, had the Christ consciousness that we all have. He might have had a little more, but, but he, that he had that. And this man, Jesus, through thousands of years Uh, was reincarnated many, many times. And every time he was reincarnated, he lived a better life than the life before. So he was reincarnated up into the place where 2,000 years ago, in his last reincarnation, he lived a perfect life, and so he then just ascended to heaven. He is not God. He's just a man who was reincarnated. He cannot save you the way that you are saved, as you are reincarnated and reincarnated, and, and then one day you live a perfect life and then you ascend. Now, I don't know how it is for you, but if that is true, I got a few more lives ahead of me before, <laughs> before I, I get to ascend. So we would look on and we would say that is another Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Make sense? Yeah. Inside of your program today, One of the things you you might have noticed is inside there is a little pamphlet called Christianity, Cults, and Religions. I love this little pamphlet because it's a very practical little guide. If you open up the inside of it, it talks about biblical Christianity, and this is what Christians believe. And then you go, and the next one would be Jehovah's Witnesses, and here's what they believe, and here's what the Mormons believe. And it goes through a number of these. Some of these you haven't even heard of. And, and so they'll tell you, you know, here's what we think of Jesus, and, and this is how we see him. Islam says Jesus is a prophet, but he is not God. And uh, so, so it's very, very, very different. Now this is a great thing. So when they show up at your doorstep, and keep this in your Bible, and show up on your doorstep, you just get away for a minute, you open up, Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) And you'll love this. Check on it from time to time. It's a a great thing. So, so in Corinth, they were teaching a different Jesus and a different gospel. And that was certainly coming from a, a different spirit. So, as we've traveled through, there are at least two Jesuses that were being taught. One Jesus was the Jesus that we've been talking about where they taught that Jesus came, He died on the cross for our sins, but then His whole purpose is to help us accomplish our dreams, our goals, our aspirations, and it's not about us living for Him, it's about Him coming alongside of us to help us in essence live for ourselves. It was so bad that Paul had to write, and we've looked at this verse several times in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, "...he died for all." That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Sadly, for the Corinthians, for many of them, it was all about Jesus helping them live for them. They'd never come to the place where they said, I'm living for you. And so that was a very, very different, different Jesus. Now, another one that we've discovered, and we'll see here in, in a few minutes. This group taught that Jesus was okay, that's great, you, know, you needed a Savior and all that, but now what you need to do is there's this whole list of rules and rituals and regulations. That would be what we would refer to as the Old Testament law, the, the, the first five books of, of the Old Testament and you had to keep those. And Jesus came so that you could be empowered to keep all those rules and rituals. And that would be a very different Jesus, that's a very, very different gospel. We in the modern church have done somewhat of the same thing. We've at times said Jesus is great but then we attach a number of rules and regulations and and, and a list of things. A list of things that the Bible doesn't talk about and we said this is what it means to be spiritual. And uh, and, if you've come from a church that, anybody come from a church that did that? Good, good. See some hands, good. Thousands of hands going up all over the auditorium. So it so, might be a slight exaggeration, <laughs> but it's a list that, that, that the Bible never mentions. So when Paul left the church of Corinth, they drifted away from the teaching of God's word, and it got so bad because they could, no, and so that they could no longer recognize, is this the real Jesus or a manufactured Jesus? Is this the real gospel or is this some other gospel? Is this really the Holy Spirit or is it some other thing? Which is why here at Calvary we always begin and end with this. Because this is how you know if it's really the Jesus of the Bible. This is how you know if it's really the Holy Spirit. And if you stick with this you won't get too far off base. And any time you get off base you're going to come to a passage that's going to bring you right back to where you need to be. So here at Calvary we want to follow Paul's model of teaching the Word of God so that we don't wind up like the Corinthians following another Jesus. Verse, six, uh, verse 5 he says, for I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech yet I, I'm not so in knowledge, Paul says so I'm not a great public speaker, but in, in fact in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Now when he says, in, in my Bible it says the most eminent apostles there in uh verse 5. I love how the NIV translates it and I put it, put it there in your outline. He says, but I do not think that I'm in the least inferior to those super apostles. The false teachers considered themselves to be super apostles. Paul's just going to call them false teachers, false apostles. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. So if they were false apostles, what would they be doing in false teachers? What, what is something that they would be doing? You know, speaking of that, and uh, talking about Paul, saying Paul's not that gifted as a speaker. Well, I want you to notice, we're going to pick it up in verse 7. I'm going to give you the punchline and we're going to unpack it. The punchline here is this, write this down. Unlike the false teachers, Paul chose to not make money the big issue for people to receive ministry. Paul chose to not make money the big issue for people to receive ministry. Verse 7 he says, verse 7 he says, Or or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you? And I want you to underline without charge, however your Bible says it. Then verse 8 he says, and you want to underline this line, I robbed other churches, we'll come back to that, by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and I was in need, I was not a burden to anyone and when the brethren came from Macedonia, go ahead and underline Macedonia, they fully supplied my need, and in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you, and I will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Uh, that, that region is there where Corinth is at. As you and I have traveled through First Corinthians and Second Corinthians over the last year, several times, Paul has referred to the fact that when he was there in Corinth, he taught the people to put God first in their finances, of something that he taught. Uh, But sadly the Corinthians, they they never got around to developing the the reputation of being people who actually supported the ministry. And, And so Paul had to make the decision which he made. The decision was to continue ministering to the people regardless of how they responded financially. Apparently it got so bad that the churches of Macedonia heard about it, and so they sent money to, to help support Paul so he could he could continue to minister. Paul says, I robbed other churches. When he says, I robbed other churches to minister to you, the idea is that Paul was always supported by a church. It just wasn't the Corinthian church. And so he says, I robbed other churches. The idea is it was robbing them because that was the money that was supposed to do ministry in their church and not to do ministry in this church. This church was to support this, this church. The, so, so he says, so, so, so I did that and I, I never made money the, the, the main issue of ministry. On top of that, the false teachers who had come in, they used the common method that the philosophers were using as far as fundraising. If you were a philosopher in that day, and you were going to go and give your spiel, you know, your your philosophy, you're going to teach that, you would charge admission to come in and hear what you have to say. And so the false teachers followed that plan. So what this would mean would be the if you were considered to be a really top-notch philosopher, everybody would know it because you'd be charging more than anybody else. And the idea would be would be that what you're saying is obviously very, very valuable. And so they were turning on Paul and saying, "He doesn't charge for anything. He he must not must not be all that much of an apostle. Must not be all that much of a of a um, you know a teacher or, or, or an apostle." Verse eleven, he says, "Now why? Because I do not love you it, that I did it this way. God knows I do, but what I'm doing, I will continue to do, so that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity." to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. They were boasting about how great their ministry was and how much they were able to charge for their ministry at the same time uh, diminishing Paul's ministry because he didn't do that. Um, so, so for that reason here at Calvary as a church we have always chosen to be like Paul we teach on putting God first in our finances. And when we come to it in the Bible, we, we, we talk about it, we teach it. But we've also chosen to never make money, the main issue as far as receiving ministry. We've always chose to just freely give ministry to whoever needed it and not attach that to it. Here at Calvary for the past 19 years, we've chosen to just simply put boxes in the back of the auditorium And we we don't mention it week after week. We just, whenever we come to it in the Bible and it's talking about it, then we talk about it. But we put boxes in the back, and God is always taking care of this church. Now, because we are a church that teaches on putting God first, we would call that tithing because we teach on it. It's something that we practice. So, since day one, 19 years ago, of everything that comes in financially, the first 10% has always gone out to missions, to support missionaries, benevolence needs within the congregation and outreach, reaching reaching our community. We've always done that. We teach it, we practice it, we think it's important, but we never make we never make money the big issue as far as ministry is concerned. Make sense? So that's why we do what we do. Verse 13, he says, he says, now Paul's gonna tell us what he really thinks. But such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, uh, whose end will be in accordance with their deeds. Paul is writing to a church, and he's writing about what's going on in the church. So Paul's observation there in your outline, you want to write this down, his observation was that in some cases Satan's servants were in the pulpit. They were in the pulpit. And they're acting as apostles claiming to represent the Lord. I mentioned Matthew 24 where Jesus said false teachers, false prophets. But in Matthew 7, notice what he says. He says, "...beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing," But inwardly are ravenous wolves. They always look good on the outside. They always look good on the outside. It's one thing to point out and say this one's a false teacher, that one's a false teacher, that one's and and, and we live in a culture where when you do that, the congregation doesn't respond by going, "He is a false teacher." The congregation typically responds by saying, "Oh, you're just you know this." What, I don't know how you respond, but they, you know <laughs> <laughs> But here's what I've learned. Instead of focusing in on what everybody else is doing, I think we just here at Calvary we focus in on the Word and pointing people to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to do His work and and not allow ourselves to wind up where where others might be finding themselves. So for us here at Calvary, unlike the false teachers, the false teachers would say, here's what I say, here we just want to go and say, here's what God says and point people to the Lord. Verse 16 He says, now again I say, let no one think of me foolish... Let no one think of me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. Now what I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would. Uh, we're going to find out that they're into boasting about their ministries, and uh, Paul says, so let me do a little bit of boasting. He says, but Jesus would never stoop to this. Uh, so that I'm not doing like the Lord wouldn't do this. But as in foolishness in this confidence of boasting, since um, and i've in my Bible it says it like this: since many boast according to the flesh, he says, I will boast also we'll talk about his boasting in a minute. The false teachers were coming in and they were promoting themselves they were boasting about themselves he says, as the world would they, they were promoting themselves like anybody in the world would promote their thing so the best way I've got to be very careful how he says certain things here um, Send up a quick prayer that I say things in the right way, just real quick. But if you've ever seen some of the advertisements that, that kind of go something like this as they boast about themselves, come hear the anointed, empowered teaching of Dr. Reverend Evangelist pastor, on and on, and then they say their name, and then they say under the anointed, you know, this, that, that will be healing the sick, raising the dead, kicking down the gates of hell. And then, you know, they show the video that goes with that, and they're, they're like going through the audience, you know, and just, you know, all this stuff and striking major preaching poses and that sort of thing my all-time favorite is when they take off their coat and they swing it around like this and they do this and the whole section falls down. And I just want to say, if we could just do that one time in my ministry, I would feel complete. (laughs) But Paul would say, I never came to you with all that hype and boasting. I didn't do that. But you're following those that do that. So here at Calvary, as Paul says, you know, many are into boasting, here at Calvary we always want to promote what God is doing here. But it's never about pointing people to the minister. It's about pointing people to Jesus. And sometimes in that, and I don't know where that line is, you get the feeling that what they're really saying is it's all about that person, that they have something and the only way you can get it is to come to them. And uh, at somewhere along the way they cross over into a place where it's all about them. That's the essence of what Paul is saying. Now, as they promote themselves in their boasting, here's what they do, and I love Paul's wording here, verse 19. He says, so for you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. His way of saying you guys are smarter than that. I mean, I thought you guys were smarter than that. And here's what they tolerated. However it says it in your Bible, you underline, I'm, I'll, I'll go through what it says in my Bible. He says, for you tolerate it. If anyone enslaves you, underline that, if anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. And Paul says, you know, to my shame, I must say, we've been weak by comparison. So here, here, here's what he's saying in that, and we can unpack it. But I need to start with a, a Calvary rule. This is, I believe this is what Paul is saying, but we have one rule here at Calvary that we, we try never to violate. And you, if you're going to stay at this church, you have to get this rule. So you ready? Here's rule number one at Calvary. Thou shalt not be weird. Write that down. <laughs> Thou shalt not be weird. So when is it weird? When is it weird? Well, Paul says, here's what you're tolerating. In my Bible it says they enslave you. Now what does that mean? Well, that would be legalism. Write that down. Legalism. A legalist, legalism is when someone has what we would call a legal list. That is, it's Jesus and then there's this whole list of things that you have to keep and do that the Bible doesn't say anything about. If the Bible says it, then do it. But they have this list. Somebody says, well, I don't go to movies, okay? Um, another says, well, I, I go to movies, but I only go to G movies. Someone says, well, I go to PG, but I, I don't go to PG 13. And someone says, well, I, I go to PG 13, but I don't go to R. And, and so they have this list. And if somebody goes one level beyond you, then you go, well, I'm more spiritual than you. And the Bible has nothing to say about those things. And so here at Calvary, we do not start with a legal list. You, you follow the Lord, you pray, you've got God's word, and, and uh, you know, there you have it. So the second thing says they they devour you, they devour you, and I'm going to suggest here that that's not feeding but fleecing the flock, not feeding but fleecing the flock, always trying to get something from you here here at question, here here at Calvary, our big question isn't what can we get from you, but we always ask, how can we be a blessing to the congregation that God has brought here? We always want to start with that. Then it says they take advantage of you, number three. And, and I would suggest that they're using their position for personal gain. Personal gain. They're not pointing you to Jesus, they're pointing you to themselves. And then it says they exalt themselves. The idea is that they promote themselves in such a way that they are more spiritual than the rest, and because they're more spiritual than the rest, that they have it, and uh, if you stick with them long enough you might get some of it. And then you, you can always tell that they're exalting themselves when you try to question. And if you've ever seen this on, on, on television, uh, I've seen it quite a bit years ago. But but uh, when anytime somebody disagrees with them, the common response, there's one verse they all use. It's this verse here on, on your outline from 1 Samuel. It says, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? And what they'll say is... You sure you want to question the Lord's anointed? Has anybody ever been in an environment like that? Yes. yes? Did we go to the same church? <laughs> so if you've ever been in that that environment, now now it, you know the thing is, who said you're the Lord's anointed? The, the reality is, Paul might just be calling you a false teacher. Now I'm, I'm going to say this: if you have to tell people that you're the Lord's anointed, you're probably not. That makes sense. So, uh, I just, unless it's me, okay, then. then. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here's my favorite. Um, they hit you in the face, verse twenty, the very last line. They hit you in the face. Some of your Bibles might say they slap you in the face. However it says it. When you read a commentary on this. The, the the commentary will say Paul's talking about church and what goes on in the church. So it's not like the pastor walks by and he punches you in the face. That's not the idea. So, but they'll say it, it's it's more like this: uh, when church is a weekly beating. How many of you grew up in a church where it was a weekly beating? And you're still in church, isn't that great? I I had a was in a church, and uh, there's one of the guys that attends our church, and. Um, he, we grew up in the same church, and so I, I talked about this, the weekly beating, and he came up after me and says, "Were you talking about so and so?" I said, "Yeah, I was." And he goes, "I knew it! I knew it! Because it was, it was. You know, you come to church every week, and, and it's the weekly beating, and they make you feel wretched about yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but I need no help feeling wretched about myself. I wake up feeling wretched pretty much every day, so, so it takes me a little while to get out of it. But here at Calvary, our desire, our heart is to be like Paul." Notice what Paul said back in 2 Corinthians, uh, first chapter, he said, not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. So here at Calvary we always want to be a resource, uh, but you, we want to share with you for your joy as you walk, as you grow. If we can be a resource, great. But we're here to teach God's word, we're not here to give the weekly beating. So Now because Paul didn't do those things, and you want to write this down. They confused meekness with weakness, meekness with weakness. Verse 21, he says, Paul's, he he says it Well, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. And you know what Paul is Paul's using some some sarcasm, but Paul's saying, you know what? When I came there, I was an apostle, and I brought you the word of God, and I showed you, and I never did any of those things, because that's what false teachers do. Not, not, not what true teachers do. Verse 21 he says to my shame I must say that we've been weak by comparison but in whatever respect anyone else is bold I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Then he's going to tell us who they are. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. The idea is that the false teachers came in, they wanted you to know their background, they wanted you to know their pedigree, and they flaunted it. And Paul said, I could do all of that, but I never did that. I never did that in any way. Verse 23, he says, are they servants of Christ? And he says, well, I, I speak as if insane. He says, but if so, I more so. And here's why. He says, in far more labors, and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews the 39 lashes. Now the 39 lashes would be, they would tie you up, they would strap you so that your arms were, uh, you were extended. They would take the whip and they would whip you. And they would do that in such a way that it would pull literally the flesh and the muscle off of you and you'd be bleeding profusely. It's not something that took a couple of days to get over. It took months to get over that. He says, I've been through that several times. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once again, if you've ever heard of the process that they use in other parts of the world called caning, where they tie you and they take the cane and they hit you to the place where you are completely opened up and your muscles are are exposed. And again, those aren't things that you get over in a week or two. It takes months and some people never get over them. And Paul says, I, 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 I went through that. He says, once I was stoned. And it's not talking about your college experience. He says, three times, <laughs> three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I, I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardships through, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure. The false teachers were saying that how can you call him an apostle? If you're really in God's will, God's just going to be blessing, 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 blessing. The problem with that is if you look at any of the apostles, that was not their experience. God loves to bless his children. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But Paul's saying this is what I've been through for the gospel. Do you think any of those false teachers would have gone through any of this before they would have packed up? On a personal note, as I read this I think, i got to quit complaining about my life. <laughs> verse, verse 28, he says, "'Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me concerning all the churches, for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? You know, I feel your pain. Who is led in sin without my intense concern?' And so he says, and I want you to underline this, he says, if I have to boast, I will boast in what pertains to my weakness. The false teachers were constantly boasting about their great accomplishments and uh, and all that they had done. Paul says, I'll just tell you about the stuff I've been through. I'm not going to boast about those things. Verse 20 um, 31. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. So verse 31, just write this down, in the end Paul chose to trust that God knows. And for Paul that was enough. It was enough that God knew. Here at Calvary over the past 19 years we've done things in a certain way because we see this is how Paul chose to do ministry. Wasn't a lot of hype, didn't flaunt a lot of things, just wanted to bring God's word, and and very humbly, without exalting himself, represent the Lord well. Our goal, God's given us 19 years, if he gives us another 19 years our goal will be to continue on to represent the Lord as we understand him as, as we read in this book. With that, I know we're out of time, I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the work that you've allowed us all to participate in, that you've used us to reach our community. You continue on to do that. We pray for as you've allowed us to be effective that that effectiveness will continue on. We realize that that we have a unique calling to do things in a certain way. We want to represent you in all things. I pray God that we as a church and we as individuals would rightly represent who you are in every area. And then Father I pray that you keep us till we meet again And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, all God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.